Hallelujah. I know it's a powerful name. I took a baby in my arms a few years ago, born addicted to drugs. Doctors said it'd probably be mental, never learn, may never walk, wasn't sure if it could even see. But the mother said, Brother Donnie will pray for it. God will make it well. It cried both day and night since it was born for months. I didn't whisper the name Buddha. I didn't whisper alcohol, tobacco, marijuana. But I whispered this powerful name. Glory be to God. I'm sure you know the results. Hallelujah. Because my name's powerful? No. Because you're powerful? No. Because he's powerful. Hallelujah. Oh, I believe he's the same mighty God right here among us tonight, don't you? No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're dealing with, he's still powerful. Amen. Oh, I'm so glad to be a Christian tonight, aren't you? And to be able to live for him and just give our lives to him. I know people think we're weird and we're strange. How could we serve such a God that we've never seen? And how could we give everything up for him? But once you've ever been touched by him, it's really no mystery. That's right. You just so fall in love with him. He might as well be visible because to you he is. The scripture says that Moses believed him after seeing him who was invisible. That's what we've done. We see him. Well, isn't it good to be in the house of God? Praise the Lord. What a privilege for us. I hope we don't take these times for granted. Amen. Let's turn to the Song of Solomon, if you would, tonight, chapter 2. Carol asked me last Sunday, are you done with little foxes? I said, I'm afraid to say. (laughs) So it looks like we got at least two more services on them, but... We'll just be done when God says we're done. That'll, that'll work for us all, won't it? Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Second Timothy 4.10. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. I may like to be remembered tonight before the Lord. Carol and uh, Erica and her daughters went down to Kentucky today to be with her sister. Um, It looks like maybe just a few more hours in this life. We certainly desire your prayers that God will just be with their family, several children still at home, and her husband. Um, so they're certainly going to need our prayers tonight. Even on times like this, though, 
That's what you love about Jesus. He's there with you all the time. Amen. So your prayers would be greatly appreciated. And remember me tonight, if you would. Let's pray together. Blessed Lord, how we love you so much. Thank you so much for your kindness to us, Jesus. What a great privilege it is, Lord, that once again we can be gathered here on Saturday night. All oh, people look forward all week to Saturday, to the weekend. Some have been planning a big drunk. Some have been planning on getting high. They've been planning on all kinds of things. We've been planning on coming to church. No wonder this world thinks we're crazy. But Lord, if they could ever get a taste of you, the way we've got of you, they'd know why we love to come to your house. Why we love to hear your word and talk about you. Father, you saw the hands of your children that were uplifted. It signified a need, a desire, a request. Lord Jesus, even those that's on the visible audience tonight, we pray that you'd be mindful of each one. Lord, I pray that you'd be mindful of Sharon and her family tonight, Father. Her blood pressure down, Lord, just 40 over 30 just a bit ago. and So humanly, Father, she can't live very much longer. But she's got a son coming in around 830 or so, so maybe you're going to spare him. Lord, the one that stood right here some months back to church remembers that we laid hands on him and prayed for him going into the military. Dear God, we know that when our life is finished that we're ready to come up to your house. So I just pray that you'd be with her. Make her cross and easy. Lord Jesus, may you be with their family. Comfort them. Help them, Lord. We know that each of us, unless we go by the way of the rapture, this is facing each of us. So the main thing is to be ready. Speak to us tonight your word, Father. We love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name. And the saints said? Amen. Oh, I like that. Would you say it again? Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. You can be seated. Now, if you all will say that when I'm preaching, it'll really be nice. Because remember now, I'm still old Fritz. And Fritz, Fritz wouldn't go after them skunks just by people. Fritz wanted to hear, seek him, boy. Amen. I'd like to speak to you again tonight on that little rotten, sorry fox of an unsurrendered life. Let me read to you what I read a couple, or last time that we dealt with this for a couple of services, but I think it's important that you and I would be able to see it. Now, Shaddai, our Brother Ram says, when you come to total obedience, then you can have possession. A justified person receives good things from God. A person that could be so lost tonight, so lost without God, they're miserable. They may be drinking, smoking, running around, living the office life that ever was, and really come to a state of true justification, and God forgive them and do something in their heart. It's going to be phenomenal, the change that will be in that person's life. It's a, it's a portion of the Spirit of God. God takes that same person and moves them into the second realm of the work of grace and sanctification. They lay aside this habit and that habit, and, and they are just overwhelmed because they've done this and that and the other for years and years and years, and they may have tried to lay it aside and get rid of it and couldn't do it for nothing in their life. Is it going to be phenomenal again what God done? Absolutely right. 
but they still aren't totally surrendered yet. They might even get to a spot to where they could get really excited and really happy and really emotional and go to talking in tongues or really feel the Spirit of God and my, my, be so blessed and still not have a surrendered heart yet. And yet they would say, Lord, I've never felt nothing like this in my life. I've been drunk before. I've done this and that and the other. I've never felt anything like this. I've never experienced anything like this and still not have a total surrendered life. Now they're on their way and they're surrendering at each one of those steps. But they may not have totally surrendered yet. Now, I don't want to shock you right off of the get-go tonight, but as we go on in time, I know that you're going to realize if you don't already, there have been men stood behind this pulpit and other pulpits in the message churches around the world. Preachers that have never yet entered into a place where they have totally surrendered their own heart to God. Oh, you say, Brother Donnie, how can that be? But they can stand and preach. Sure, they surrender what God can use, and God can use their gift. So therefore, they can stand and preach, and they might be able to say things that's totally astounding, and you're so blessed, and yet they themselves still truly never entered into that place of complete surrender. Now, Judas was that type of an individual. He did partake of a God-given Holy Ghost ministry. He was justified. He was sanctified, baptized in water by the Lord Jesus himself. Can any of you say that? Nope. He had quite a walk with God, lived so close to God that when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, the disciples questioned themselves before they questioned him. Judas was not the type of guy that was hanging around the women all the time or the guy that was dipping in the money pot all the time. No, his life was so free from from doubt and question that Peter questioned himself, John questioned himself, Bartholomew, Matthew, so on and so on. They questioned themselves before they questioned Judas. That's a man that's living a pretty good life, if you ask me. But yet Judas proved that he had not entered into a full surrendered life. Hold on to your seat now. Neither had Peter, neither had John, neither had the rest of the apostles. Now, God was able to do with what they had given him thus far, but that wasn't what God wanted. God wanted a complete surrendered life. Without that, we'll never enter into the true realities of a bride walk. Now, I'm talking about perfect faith or bride material. Notice again, he says, when God plants a promise in you, and it becomes a living reality. How many wants the word to be that inside of you? It becomes a living reality then something is different. You just don't go and say, well, yes, I believe it. That's all right. The devil believes it like that. Now, I know we got three kinds around us, believers, make-believers, and unbelievers. I don't want to shock you tonight, but the devil don't fit in the make-believer group, and the devil don't fit in the unbeliever group, but actually the devil fits in the believer group. He honestly believes He's not a make-believer. He's not an unbeliever. The prophet of God said he reads that book and he looks and he knows his own end and he actually trembles when he looks and sees what God says. So the devil is a believer. And you know he's not born again. 
Notice then the prophet goes on to say, the devil believes it like that, but it's confirmed to you. And the word becomes alive in you. Then you begin to see what it is. And it's more than quotes. It's more than scriptures. It's more than, you know, just something repeating what Brother Branham said over and over again. But the word is made flesh in bride form. Notice this in unfailing realities of the living God. God wants a complete surrender. Do you believe that? God wants a surrender. How can God show you realities before you surrender yourself to Him? You've got to surrender. Now the key is that we do not reach a place in our spiritual walk with God that we are satisfied in the sense, I mean by satisfaction, to where that we want no more. Now it's a strange saying what the work of God does in our hearts because it satisfies us and releases us from the taste of the world. That we don't want that anymore. So we're not looking for the world to satisfy us and it certainly satisfies the quench of the thirsty soul. But once you get a drink, it's like you want more and more and more but not more and more of the world but more and more and more of God. You understand? So you get more and more of the Holy Ghost, more of sanctification, more of the surrendering of your will and that's the thing that God wants to lead us to is to where it becomes the perfect reality of the living God. And we know partial realization one day will give way to a perfect realization and until that time arrives then we live in that time frame of where God is revealing more and more. And the more we surrender then the more that God can give us. That's so us every individual here tonight now. But the prophet said give me a man, woman, boy or girl. He said that will totally surrender the life to God and I'll show you a person the devil cannot stop my Lord oh is that the desire of every person you imagine a person he said a person can live so close to God that the devil don't even know what to do with you that when you get up in the morning the devil goes to grabbing his head and them demons go to running sideways and say Lord have mercy here they come again another day on the earth with them still a living on fire human being that's the type of person I want to be oh Praise be to God. I want to be the type of individual that gives the devil major migraines every day when I get up out of bed. I want to be the type of individual that lives an overcoming, God-fearing, Holy Ghost-filled, sanctified power of God life that demons out of hell tremble when I come into town. Oh my, you bragging on you goodness? No. There ain't one good thing in me. There's not one good thing about you. But he that created all things lives in me. He that created all things lives in you. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I'm not bragging on me tonight. I'm not bragging on you. But I am bragging on the work of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, you know the key and the secret is this, friends, when God goes to dealing with our hearts, if we do not, by the Spirit of God helping us learn how to surrender, we pick up now again tonight by the help of God on a character that we looked at for a couple of services, and that is Saul. As I mentioned to you before, I always felt sorry for Saul because he seemed like the type of individual that loved God to a degree, but really never able to go all the way with God. I think that Saul was the epitome of the answer to desire of the children of Israel in the time of rebellion. 
of them asking for a king and Saul was a reflection of where they were. But when you see that God moves into the second dispensation of kingship for the children of Israel, that God does not choose a man like Saul. So God moves in now to another sphere. So we left uh, Sunday before last one. I'll close on this. And Saul actually had now turned down the commandment of God. Uh, Samuel goes one way. Saul goes the other. God has now rejected Saul and something is fixing to happen to Saul. And that is he's going to get worse. And it's the same with you and I that when God goes to dealing with our hearts and calling us to a closer walk, a deeper walk, more of a consecration. How many wants that with all your heart? How many knows there's a closer walk for you as an individual? Not saying tonight, now you're backslid and you're going out in the world and doing the world, but there's just more for you. There's more, a deeper walk with God, more of a consecration. And that within itself shows you and I that there is a greater place for us because we hunger for it. But if God goes to dealing with us about that and we turn it down, then the sad part about it is a rejection on the part of God. Now, I don't want to upset you right from the get-go, but if you are elect of God, God will get you one way or the other. That's to a hospital door. He'll roll you in a wheelchair, whatever he's got to do. God ain't going to lose one of them whose name is on that book of life. That's right. There is nothing in the old brother Donnie. Don't you think we have free moral agency? I most certainly do. And I believe you have just as much right to choose God as your father as Adam did in the Garden of Eden. What? What are y'all laughing at me for? I believe you have choice. I believe that you have free moral agency. Just as much right to choose God as being your father as Adam did and as your children did to be your children. And how much right was that? It is my free moral agency that has got me in so much trouble. It was God's choice that got me out. So I'll tell you one thing. I prefer his choice any day over my choice. That's right. And those names are on the book of life. Now, I don't know how to say this other than just this way. That there seems to be believers who are in the book of life that never actually reach to the same spiritual plateau as other believers. I don't know how that all works because I'm not a very smart man. But I see them through the Bible and I see that many of them were never able to actually reach the same heights that others in the plan of God did. Saul, to me, is one of those type of individuals. That Saul will be there as as a matter of fact, he was gathered when he died with the prophet Samuel. Is that right? You will be with me. Your sons will be with me where I am. So Saul was not a lost individual. But yet Saul never was able to rise to the same place that David was and others were. And it's the same. Now listen, I, I believe it's the same as we move over into the Gentile dispensation that there will be people there that you and I may kind of look down on. And we might have a little bit of question about them, whether or not they'll ever be there. But in reality, God is the only one who holds that book of life and the Lamb's portion of the book of life. He's the only one that knows. And there might actually be some that goes in this rapture that might be quite surprising to you and I because we're measuring them by what we think the standard is when in God's eyes the standard is not what you think, what I think, what we think collectively, but it's what he thinks anyway because he is the judge. Now, in, in reality, you and I looking at Saul, you know, we say, man, that guy was a rascal. I mean, he had murder in his heart. He had all kinds of meanness about him. And we know now bringing that over into the New Testament that a Christian cannot have this type of attitude. This could not be able to stand on a person that had the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It would purge it all out. And the church said... Amen. 
That's right. But even in that, we see people that are born again. And their human part maybe is not quite as likable as other people in their human parts. Some people have a more more natural, likable human nature than others do. Oh my, y'all looking at me strange now. But yet at the same time, it does not mean that they're not elect from the seed. The human part from all of us is contemptible. I don't care how good you think you are, how pretty you think you are, how handsome you men think you are. You're sorry, rotten bunch of stinking old flesh. And you got to be changed. Listen, friends, we don't need to just go back to being young men and young men. Now, you don't imagine if the Spirit of God come in this building tonight and changed every one of us back to being 18 or 20 years old and left us in our humanity and took us to heaven just because we were young people, you'd still find yourself avoiding people in heaven. You'd find yourself hiding and peeking around the corner and jasper walls and gates of pearl because you didn't like this certain, certain person. Humanity. So we don't just need to go back to young people. We need to be changed. Our human part does because this is still yet not converted. That's right. So keep that in mind now as we look at Saul. Now watch in 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Now this is an absolute phenomenal statement to me. Because Saul is still in the castle. Saul still has the crown. Saul is still acting the part of king. But in God's eyes, he's rejected. That's right. I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill thine horn with all and go. I will send the Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me. Notice now the changing of the wording here from when Saul is sent to consecrate it. Now God says, I have provided me, not the people a king, but I have provided me a king. Now the devil has provided him a church, but God has provided him a bride. God, if you could just hear him today, said, I have provided me a queen who loves my word above all other things. Notice now, this is God saying this, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Now, that's phenomenal again, because the king didn't know he was a king, because he was a shepherd boy out taking care of sheep and singing and playing a harp and acting real Pentecostal out there in the wilderness by himself. So you'd never been able to convince him he was a king. You'd never convinced his daddy. You'd never convinced his brothers. As a matter of fact, when God sends the prophet Samuel over there, his father, Father even forgets about this boy. He's so insignificant that the prophet Samuel has to ask about him two times. Is this all your sons? Don't you have any more sons? Oh, I forgot David. How could I have forgot the little old holy roller runt? I shouldn't have never forgot that little kinky-headed outfit. My, he embarrasses every one of us and he carries on like a holy roller, but still, that's no need for me to forget him. Is this all your sons? <laughs> I imagine sometimes some of the uppity ups around the message would like to forget us because we still believe there's a God who moves. We believe in the power of the resurrection. We believe there's a God who heals and a God who delivers and a God who baptizes with the Holy Ghost. 
But God says, I have provided me a king among his sons. Now, a person may be rejected by God and still totally and completely accepted by God's people. So all of us, you're going to listen to me now, ain't you? All right, now remember, old Fritz has got this, this, this coon and skunk under the tree. Now, you know, it may go for months, it may go for years, but eventually the person that God has rejected over his people, the judgment of God and the displacing of God will replace that individual as it was going to be with Saul. Now notice how, how Saul has now changed. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. Uh-oh. So now we see after chapter 15, when Saul had went away from Samuel on the garment but was torn his hand, now something has so moved upon Saul and he's become so mean and so contrary that the prophet of God fears him for his own life. Why? Now the unsurrendered heart has become such a halt on Saul that he's become so evil and so wicked. Lord, children, please don't turn him down. When God's dealing with you to give up more, look at what follows if we don't do it. Now the Spirit of God dealing with Saul, and Saul no doubt never thought his end would ever come to such a place. Can you imagine a prophet of God being scared of, of a king? But he said, if Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take an heifer unto thee and say, I'm come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now look at the Lord, what the Lord is saying to Samuel. So God actually gives Samuel and God knows that what Samuel is saying is the truth. That Saul is so cantankerous and he's got so mean and he's got so cold. Oh, mine's so indifferent. God knows that what he's saying is the truth. So God said, right, you're right, okay. Then I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to take a heifer and I want you to go say you're going to do sacrifice. Now, God is not lying, but God puts up something in front of him. But that's not actually the main thing that the prophet is there for. Now what's happened to this man that he started out just disobeying God a little bit and then a little bit more and now he's become so wicked and so hard-hearted that he would actually kill the prophet of God that anointed him to be king? You see what a little fox of an unsurrendered life does? If you don't surrender to God, then you will surrender to Satan. Now here's a man that is the king of Israel. He's wearing the crown, sitting on the throne, holding the scepter in his hand. He's in charge of the army of God. The priesthood would answer to him to a degree. And yet he is so mean. He would kill the prophet of God if he had a chance. Oh my. Notice, and call Jesse to the sacrifice. Now what's God's great, great plan in his sovereignty? How that God said, you're right, he will try to kill you. So what I want you to do, take a heifer and go up there and tell him that you're going to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. But I want you to call Jesse. 
Now can you imagine what Jesse thought when he gets this call from the prophet of God, hey, I want you to come up to the sacrifice of that. Dear Lord, what have I done? 10,000 things running through his mind. Lord have mercy. Oh God, God's going to kill me. What in the world? You know how we are as humans. What in the world have I done? Oh my goodness, what have I done? Oh my. I will show thee what thou shalt do, and thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name. How many believe God's still in the name calling business? Oh, praise the Lord. And Samuel did that, which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town. Look at the difference now for people who respect God's prophet. From those who are in the exact same message who ridicule him. Now Saul wasn't following some different message. He's supposedly following the message of Moses. But he's lost his respect for that word. He's lost his respect and honor for God's prophet. Well, praise the Lord. But when these elders now of the area of Bethlehem, they hear that the prophet of God is coming. They say, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, oh, God. Lord Jesus, God help us. God help us. It's too bad America didn't do that. It's too bad America didn't say, God, have mercy, you sent us a prophet. It's too bad the world didn't have that attitude. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming. He hadn't said anything. He hadn't done anything. They just saw the prophet of God coming into town and tore them all to pieces, Brother Terry. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, peaceably. Thank God that was close. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. You see, God can send a man on a mission and give him a message to say. And an underlying mystery, which is greater than the message which is heard, lays under that which is not uttered. God sent Brother Random to the world, lay hands on the sick, my people walked blinded eyes, or you know, all kinds of things happened, but there was something laying underneath that which was greater than the divine healing and the miracles. I'd love to have been there, friends, and seen the lame walk. I would have loved to have been there in some of those meetings that I read just the other day where Jack Cole was talking about, I think I shared it with you, and he saw eyeballs created in a human being's head. Can you imagine? But yet many of those people that God healed, no doubt, never served God, never went on with the word. To me, I'd rather have a desire to serve the Lord by hearing this message of the hour than to say, well, Brother Ben, pray for me. Brother Ben, pray for my grandmother. All that's good. But you get prayed for tonight and get healed, you might die next week of the same thing. But get your soul healed of the presence of God, you will never die. Oh, thank God. I'm come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he 
sanctified Jesse. You mean a prophet of God has such power with God that he can pull an individual apart from other individuals and sanctify him. That's what the word sanctify means. Pull apart, set apart for a special work. So you imagine as the people begin to say, Lord, look at that. Look at that lady's hands all on Jesse. Well, Jesse ain't nobody. Jesse ain't never done nothing great. It wasn't what Jesse done. It's who was in Jesse's house. Praise be to God. Oh my, your mom and daddy might hear this word and never do nothing for them. But yet God used them to be able to give them a body for a seed of God to land in one day. And that was you. He sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. You remember the story. Let's jump down to save time in verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil. On who? The one that his own daddy didn't remember to invite. Took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now listen, the spirit of God could not empower two men for the same office at the same time. When David received the authorization to become king, a dispensational change moved into Israel. And the spirit that was on Saul from God left him. Why? God ain't going to have two men that's anointed to be king at the same time. That ain't the way God runs his business. God ain't going to have two men in this church that's anointed to be pastor at the same time. You know when God will get somebody else take the anointing off of me, God will do both of it at the same time or near the same time frame. God will have another man if I go to the way of the grave, but God will not call another man to be pastor of this church until he's done with me. Just the way it works. God's not going to have another pastor. Oh, he might have a shepherd king in the making. He might have a man that's sitting there learning, but God will not anoint two men for the same office at the same time. It's contrary. God could not anoint Elisha and Elijah at the same time. Nope. He could not have Obadiah, Micah, Malachi, Zechariah, all of them preaching wide open at the same time. Totally impossible. That's not the way he does it. And yet here is David, just a shepherd boy. But when the prophet of God anointed him, oh, hallelujah. Can't you see, children? We've got more than just a divine healing anointing on us. We've got more than just jumping up and down and saying, well, God sent a prophet. God sent a prophet. If a prophet of God was able to anoint a man to be a king, why is it hard for you to believe God would send a prophet in the end time of Malachi 4 to anoint a woman to be the queen? Oh, hallelujah. God anointed a little boy to be king. God has anointed you to be queen. (laughs) 
no doubt when this spirit came on him, there was a character change. There was a change about David, a charisma, an insight, wisdom, ability that began to come out from David and the way he behaved himself wisely. And his daddy saying, where did he get that? Where in the world did he get that? And his brother was looking and saying, where in the world did he come from? I always knew he was weird. I always knew he was different. Wow, did we raise a king this way? No, it wasn't you. It was the anointing. It was the anointing. The anointing came and empowered him with characteristics and traits he was not born with. Some of you low down, sorry, rotten sinners. You wouldn't amounted to nothing if you'd have stayed out there in the devil's kingdom. But look what God's done for you. Look what God has done for you. Saved you, filled you with the Holy Ghost, and turned some of you men instead of drunks and liars and whatever more, turned you into responsible sons of God who stand up and take your position in the Word. And maybe even some of your family look at you and say, Wow, I never saw hit ever mount to nothing. But you see, as this characteristics and trait of the Spirit of God comes on David, the Spirit of God leaves Saul and another spirit comes and it brings mistrust, question, anger, fear, paranoia. So if you find yourself dealing with all them things, you need to trade spirits. in verse 14 but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul so it can't be on David and be on Saul at the same time not to be king Lord children can you imagine trading the spirit of God for this But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from or permitted by the Lord troubled him. So the kingly part about him, the decisiveness of being able to decide and the the part about him, the traits that they notice that Saul and say, man, look at that. Watch him fight. Look at how he makes his decisions to make the army come together. Quite impressive when you look at what the man done. I mean, it's the first army in Israel that they really had to amount to much after Joshua. And the man is able to rally the people of God together and do such great things. Where did that come from? The anointing he was under. The anointing and power. Don't rely on your own ability. Oh, Brother Donnie, I'm trying to be the bride and I'm trying to do my best. Your best ain't going to be good enough. We have to have the anointing. By that, I'm not talking about feeling. Listen, children. I am anointed to preach the word whether I feel anything or not. I am anointed to be bride whether I feel anything or not. The anointing is not feeling. The anointing is not emotion. Oh, hallelujah. I wish you could realize you are anointed to be the bride on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You are anointed to be bride even when God feels a million miles away. (sighs) 
So this unsurrendered heart now moves into this state. So now he's leery of everybody. He don't trust nobody. You see, this came on him because he rejected God's word. Now he becomes weak, miserable, a drama queen or king, whichever you want to call it. You see, those who live on drama, to them, it's almost like a fix for a dope addict. And if they don't get the proper attention, they'll get on Facebook or they'll get on, you know, whatever all this other stuff is out here. And they'll go to telling sad stories and whatever more. And then all their buddies and pals will rush in and go to, you know, boosting them up again and boosting them up again. Don't you understand what that is? It's a fix. It's a fix for them. But it only lasts a little while. To me, it's a shame that we settle for such stuff as that. God wants to give you a fix, all right. God wants to take that selfish attitude out of you. Well, praise the Lord, church. Oh, my, what a pitiful thing that we would settle for, for a marijuana joint or a cigarette or whatever more in order to try to get a temporary fix. Well, there's not a whole lot of difference between that and other people that has to be petted and babied. Come on, children, and felt sorry for. The prophet tells this image of Christ, 1959. Let me say, he said, you show me a person that's all the time needing a preacher. A preacher, he said, oh, Lord, let me not limit it to a preacher, but anyone else, he said, that's all the time needing attention. He said, there's something spiritually wrong with that person they're sick they're sick come on oh we all have difficulties we all have problems that's right but our God is with us in our problems our God is with us in our trouble we can sit around feel sorry for ourselves or we can say praise God let's go we're fixing to leave this world we're fixing to take a body change let's not wallow in all of our hurts and sorrows So Saul becomes weak, foolish, murderous, evil, fearful, alarmed by everything. Everything scares him. It's an evil spirit. Brother Donnie, I don't trust nobody. That ain't the Holy Ghost on you. You got an evil spirit on you. Don't blame your mistrust on because you've been hurt. I'd say I've been hurt more than all of you. Oh, I've been hurt by preachers, have you? I'd say I've been hurt more than all of you put together by preachers. But you know what? I still believe in them. And I'd say Brother Branham was hurt more by, than by preachers and all kinds of people than probably a big percentage of the message people put together. But Brother Branham thought a preacher so highly, he wished his two boys was preachers. So you can use that for a lousy excuse if you want to. Or you can go on and say God's word is true. God's word is true. Because the one that will hurt the most, friends, is you. Your distrust of me is not going to stop me at all. Your suspicion of me is not going to stop me at all. You know what? I was doing great before I met you, and I'll be great if you leave. Ha, ha, ha. You may not be so great because if you reject the word. I 
refuse to let people control me. My Holy Ghost, I tell you what, it don't come with a remote from this preacher and a remote from that one and a remote with this one. I believe we can live a life before God that we have our hurts, we have our pain, we have our sorrows, we have our difficulty, but we say greater is he that is in me than all my hurts, all my disappointments. You know it is a drama queen or a drama king or somebody that becomes like Saul is. It's, it's not just them alone that suffers. Notice in verse 15, And Saul's servants said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. They didn't go ahead and say it because they're probably afraid of him, but they said, It also troubleth me. Because as long as it troubleth thee, it troubleth me. Since I'm your butler, your butler, your baker, your shoe polisher, your sword polisher, and I'm kind of living a dangerous life, you're polishing your spear. That evil spirit's getting on you, and you're grouchy and contrary as all get out. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. What a change. And yet, oh no. Lord, have mercy. What is he doing now? He's shouting louder than he shouted before he got anointed. He's running bigger circles than he ever run. Saul is getting worse and worse and David's getting happier and happier. Now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man. Who is a cunning player on a harp. And you think God ain't got a sense of humor. It's amazing that one of the best harp players in Israel is anointed to become the next king. Glory be to God. Who is a cunning player on a heart? And it shall come to pass. I'll tell you, these little boys had some pretty good understanding, didn't they? Now, they've got more understanding than the king does. Why? Because that evil spirit is so on this unsurrendered heart, he can't even think right no more. He can't think straight no more. He's so troubled. And everybody around him is feeling it. I believe these old boys is anointed of the Lord, don't you? Now, why didn't they say a psaltery player? You know, his, history says David could play 500 instruments. So he played that for a while and sat that down and played that for a while. And then he'd pick up, hey, you know what, a man like that could probably play this microphone. Play on them drums, play on the cymbals, the high sounding cymbals. Now David went to Church of Christ. And it wasn't like some of the Church of Christ in the message who wants to make the singing, all the doxology and all that sort of thing. Hey, look, friend, if you like George Beverly Shade, that's perfectly fine. Up to you. That's not my thing. 
I, I find it hard to believe that David would be able to sit down and hear boy George Beverly Shea and some of them type of guys and really carry on with that sort of singing. I know the prophet said he'll be there. Fine with me. I'll be changed. I'll be able to handle him then. But I just can't hardly handle him now. Right. You see, we're all different. See, that, that's not the Holy Ghost in you and the Holy Ghost in me different on that point. It's our humanity. Some of you like real calm, still music as you're walking by the quiet Elevator music. Some of y'all like it with a little bit more punch to it. Oh, they said, now where in the world would they get this teaching at? Who is a cutting player on the harp and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. So they believed divine healing could come through music. Remember when Elisha, some years after this, got in a real bad humor and you know, he's pastor in a big old church and had a lot of problems in the church and a lot of things going on. Boy, he was having a bad Monday. No doubt it was Monday. He was having a lot of issues going and said, Pray me a minstrel. He didn't want a heart player that day. He wanted a minstrel. The heart player's probably said, Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so the minstrel come in. Just start playing. These people ain't so bad. I don't want to kill all of them after all. I'm going to let half of them live. God said, keep on playing. You still got to come to the other half. So the minstrel just kept on playing. Before long, boy, he got in such a good mood. He was smiling. Everybody, y'all having a good day. How's everybody? Ain't you glad to be in church? Praise God. Oh, it's such a good day to be serving God. And it praise the Lord. We're such a blessed people to come to the house of God. It wasn't no word that was read to him. It wasn't no other prophet to come and laid hands on him. But an anointed minstrel that played music. Oh, friends, I'll tell you one thing. That old church of Christ thing trying to get right back in our message and tell us how much we, we can play and how loud we can play. Sure, I know. I know we got to keep the world from infiltrating into our music. But I'll tell you one thing. God never raised up no man here or over there or over somewhere else to tell us how. There's only one absolute in this message, and that's the Word. Come on. That's exactly right. And you know what? When you look at what God done with this, and these boys of the Spirit of God and the sovereignty of God said, I know a man. Let me guess what his name is. John C. Sikafus. Um, Elmer D. Fudd. Uh, George Washington. David. The Bethlehemite. Do you think Saul would have won him near his bed if he knew he was anointed to be king. You imagine he'd get all mad. He'd go to grab things and throwing things and they would. God's teaching him how to fight. That was close. Well, I got hit by that hot dog. 
But he get his harp. He go to playing. Maybe it was his anxiety, his stress, his suspicion, his nerves. But he's a little pluck on that string. Now David was not just a musician. He was a skillful musician. There's a difference. There's some folks who, if they play the instrument, how can I say this in a most profound, tactful way? <laughs> Thank you. They're not going to calm you. You're going to be... Get me to my car, oh God, help me. David wasn't that type of a guy. He was skillful, but he was also anointed. And as the pastor of this church, I don't care how good our singing is. We got some talented people here and it's great. But I'll tell you one thing, if we ever get to a place that we think we don't need the Holy Ghost, we're in a mess. If we say, well, we've got good guitar players, good organ players, and good singers, and that, we don't need the Holy Ghost. We always need the Holy Ghost. When the evil spirit of God is upon thee, he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. So in this troubled state, the only relief this man could find was anointed music. From the king in the making. So the shepherd boy was introduced to the palace of the king. (laughs) Empowered by God to drive away. So I say to our musician brothers and the sisters who play, may you always submit your hands, your ears, whatever you do. All practice, brothers. Yes, practice. I think we ought to be everything we can for the kingdom of God. It brings no honor to God when you get up here to sing a song or play or do something other than you're the wrong key and the musician don't know where you are. This does not take away from the anointing. What if I didn't study? And I just say, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to walk up out to the pulpit and see what God will say. I went fishing today and I went fishing yesterday. I've done this and that and other all day long. And I'll just, I'll preach open filler. I'll open my mouth and let God fill her. I guarantee you one thing, you'd be starving to death after a while. Praise the Lord. Oh, you imagine the the apprehension, the nervousness in his body. What is it about that music? What is it about? Oh, man. Praise God. This is why we need pre-service. 
Oh, some of you can't wait till the singing's done, the special singing. But Scott, I want the word. When the special singing is coming, that's part of the word. When the song leader's standing up here, they're trying to get you in a bad, away from that old bad humor and get you in a good mood. You've had a bad week, maybe made some bad business deals or whatever more. You run into somebody out there in church and who knows what in the world they said to you. And they're trying to be up here, get up here and play on their heart and play on their timbrel and their psaltery. And the song leader, oh God, help me. Help me, Lord. Give me direction, Lord. What songs would be fitting for this service tonight? Pray for your song leaders. Pray for you musicians. Pray for the special singers that God will anoint them and God will lead them. And they're going down through the well, God, I could sing this one. God, I could sing that one. You believe they can be led of the Holy Ghost? I found this so interesting in, in looking at this. That music, the apprehension of things as of restoring to better health of the body and disposition of mind. Music has such an effect on the bodies and minds of men. It is certain from observation experience in all ages. Music has been found to be medicine to various diseases. You don't have this, Brother Daniel. Not only for the curing of the bite of vipers and of tarantulas. So keep that in mind the next time you get viper bit. He set me free. Yes, he set me free. He broke the bonds of tarantula bite for me. Can you imagine singing and music having such power over the bite of a viper? Oh my. Curing the bite of vipers and tarantula. Even easing the pains of sciatica, which is the nerve coming down your back. And for helping persons laboring under disorders of frenzy. Which is pretty much everybody I'm looking at here tonight. Pythagoras used to compose the mind and remove perturbations by the use of the harp. Now this is not just something in the church. That's why Satan loves music. You've seen it as well as I. You can't even go to Lowe's to buy a light bulb without the kingdom of hell's music being played over them speakers. You can't go to Walmart. You can't go to Kroger. Why? There's power in music. And Satan is playing his people right straight to tribulation period. And what God doing? God's anointing his people, his preachers to preach the word, and his musicians and his singers. And we're going to sing the bride right into a body change. I'll tell you, friends, singing goes on in heaven. Music goes on in heaven. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well. And bring him to me. It has been proven. A musician was brought and they were feeding a lion in the Tower of London. The meat was thrown to the line. The musician brings his instrument. When they were feeding the savage beast, the beast immediately left his food, 
came toward the door of his den and began to move in such a way as to show himself affected by the music. The musicians ceased and the lion returned to his food. He commenced again and the lion left off his prey and was so affected, seen by his motions, to seem to dance. Well, if he'll do that to a lion, Lord have mercy, what ought it to do to us? Can you imagine a wild lion being so affected by music, Brother Fred, that he would leave his prey and would come over and listen to the music and one dose didn't do him, so they come back and brought another dose and that lion started dancing around a little bit. Praise the beat. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is cunning in playing and a mighty valiant man and a man of war. Wow. Isn't that amazing? As far as we know, he never was in war. So how is it now that he has this air as a man of war? He has this air about him that he's valiant. I'll tell you what it was. The king's anointing. What is it that gives you an air? Glory to God. What is it that gives you an air that is like deity? It's the king's anointing. Amen. We don't live like Laodiceans. We don't talk like Laodiceans. We don't act like Laodiceans. We don't walk like Laodiceans. We act like heavenly beings. We talk like heavenly beings. We are anointed by heaven. Think of it, friends. In a moment, in the twinkling of an hour, our bodies will be changed. We'll go straight from this hell right into the presence of God. No heavenly training, not a bunch of angels teaching you how to walk, teaching you how to curtsy and do all that sort of thing. Your character will be so perfected by the word of God and the trials you go through, you will leave this hell and walk right into the presence of God. Royalty. A mighty man of war. Valiant. Praise God. Cunning and plain, a mighty valiant man, a man of war, prudent in matters, and a comely person. And best of all, the Lord is with him. Actually, the preceding was because of the latter. Any good thing you'll say about me, any good thing that'll ever really said about us, oh my, it'll be because of the latter. Because the Lord is with us. Where did this come from? Jesse was not this type of a person. David was not trained by his father. He was forgotten. Where does all these attributes come from? He had been anointed. (laughs) 
As far as we know, Goliath was the first man he ever killed. But he ain't killed him yet. He never even tried on armor. But he had an air about him. <laughs> the young harper before the rejected king. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me, David, thy son, which is with the army over in Bithynia. And he just got back from a campaign down in Ethiopia. And he just was over in Babylon. And he just took over Greece and Sicily. Where's the sheep? That's a real man. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine. And a kid and sent him by David. His son. To Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him. And he loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me. For he hath found favor in my sight. Which is a great thing. The only problem is a person like this that don't get changed, it don't last long. You see, you can be best of buds with them until you cross them. Then with the same passion that they loved you, with that same extremity, they will hate you. Why? An unsurrendered heart. Let's close. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well. And the evil spirit departed from him. Now you see, music is only a temporary fix. It can only help for, for a little while. And then when the music dies down, the organ's turned off, the piano keys are not tinkled any longer, then you go to getting in a bad mood again. You see, the thing God wants to do is for music to be able to lead us into a refreshing place. And then the presence of the king himself from within us keeps that evil away. Look, friend, what this little fox of an unsurrendered life led this man to. We'll close with him. He became worse and worse and worse. Picks up a javelin one day, throws it at David. Gives David his wife, thinking, of course, he sends him out to kill a hundred Philistines, bring the foreskins in, thinking, hoping, praying, God will allow him to be killed. Because you see, music can work either way. So one day they come into town, and boy, they were singing their song. Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And he said, what? Are they saying he, he, more people stream his services than ours? Sorry, devil. Isn't it amazing? How that music 
Now he hears that and this jealousy raises in him. Takes David's wife from him, Saul's daughter. Runs David from the promised land into the land of the Philistines. You know the story. But I love David and his attitude. If you would never known the history and yet you go over to after the Mount Gilboa and the battle. I was there back in May. It's absolutely remarkable. When you look at the Mount Gilboa where the battle was. Saul and Jonathan are killed. The message comes back to David. Saul is dead. You're king. Boy, that meant a lot. What a lot of people want. Yay! Yay! I'm pastor now. Brother Donnie's dead. Hallelujah! But David said, Oh, daughters of Israel, weep. This is a man who ran him away from his own home. A man who gave his wife away. He said, let there be no rain or no dew. I got a picture of it. It's phenomenal. When you look up on top of the mountain there, Brother Jim, where Geboa is, there's a dividing line where there's no life, no bushes, no grass, no trees that are green. Right in the middle of the mountain, they've tried to plant things for centuries. Nothing. Will grow. And it was from a man that you'd think would have every right to say, You devil, you serpent seed, you'll be in hell. Oh, no, he won't be in hell. Saul was a troubled soul. But he was God's troubled soul. We may have troubled souls among us trouble souls in our message but let's not disown them if God owns them you and I can't disown them no way. so let's let's treat them right God knows they need it Brother Rob it's totally amazing when you view that mountain I mean hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet high and there it is divided right down the middle and part of it totally dry and arid and parched with nothing on it. And on the other side, life. And as I looked at that, I thought, all because a man had the ability to forgive. And God so honored that forgiveness that God said, let it be. And I wonder how it would have been if David would have been angry. If David would express, bless God, you deserve it, Saul. That wasn't the kind of man David was. May God help us, children. Don't let your heart, don't let that little fox eat on you to where you become like this stage. How many have we seen in our ranks? How many have we seen in our church? And God deal with them by his mercy. And they turn him down and turn him down. And they get to where they don't want nothing to do with God. They don't want nothing about church. They don't want nothing about the message. People who backslide from this message are the worst kind you'll meet. They're way worse than people going away from a Baptist church or a Methodist church or a church of God. Why? They've been where the water is. 
They've laid right in the stream where the water of life is. And when they leave, and they, oh my goodness. I seen a picture the other day of a former message preacher with a beer in his hand. Denounced this message, blasting Brother Branham. Yet with a smile on his face, and I thought, God, have mercy. Don't ever let me do that. Don't ever let you do that. May our hearts be soft and fertile to the Spirit of God. No matter what people's done, Brother Donnie, you don't know. I know that, friends. I know that. But let me tell you something. I'm not telling you my words. I'm telling you the words of my master. My master had such forgiveness that he could look at those that crucified him and said, Father, forgive them. They never even asked him to. Forgive them. No doubt many of you have been treated bad. People have lied on you, done this and that and the other. You want to be like Jesus? Forgive them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Surrender more of your, yourself to God in doing so. And watch God move you into a realm of greater faith. You say faith by forgiving? Yeah, don't you remember the quote? The prophet said, faith is based upon forgiveness. The more and the deeper we can forgive, the deeper we can move into faith in God. Brother Donnie, I'll tell you, I've, I've loved people and it's hurt. Sure, loving anybody's risky. How do you know that father and children, you're bringing them into the world, how do you know what they'll do? You're marrying a woman, you women marrying a man. There ain't no way for you to know what that man or woman's going to do to your heart. You can go to the mountain somewhere and live all your life like a hermit if you want to. Just go around and talk to yourself. I do that quite a lot because I'm by myself a lot. I ain't much fun to be around. I get lonely after a while. That's right. Now you can live that kind of life. I don't trust nobody. I don't trust nobody. You're going to be a very lonely person. Or you can commit that mistrust that you have for everything and everybody to God and say, God, it's risky, but I pray you would help me. I pray you would help me, Lord. God so loved the cosmos that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world... The world through him. Might. I mean, you're talking about the brides, you're talking about mites. There ain't no might about the bride. That whosoever believeth in him, they might be saved. God knew there would be millions that would ridicule Calvary. But to him, it was worse. It was worth it. And the grace of God spilled over beyond the Lamb's portion of the book of life. His heart was so big and His grace so bountiful that it spilled over into the book of life. And there will be millions of church people 
that'll come out of the Laodicean, Ephesus, Pergamos, so on and so on and so on. And they'll stand there that day and they will come in and they'll live outside the city. Why? God's grace. Oh, it was risky. It was risky. But to him, it was worth the risk. You see, God is a lover. I hope you love him. I hope you love him with all your heart. Now, let me put it this way, so close. If you're in a Saul status tonight, but maybe your call is a David status, why not let go of that thing that you're holding on to? Let that Saul part leave you. So you'll be able to know him as the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Oh, praise God. When you read Psalms 23 and you really come to that spot where you know where it's at, you'll find yourself in every verse. The Lord isn't Brother West's shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And I shall not want. It's me and mine, I, and it's not arrogance and pride, but it's bringing that shepherd to your own personal needs and making that word rhema word, which is word anointed for your season. Praise God. God bless you. Let's bow our heads together. Thank you, Jesus. The more I surrender, the lighter my load. The more that I release my cares, the more you take control. I want to ask you, in the visible audience and the invisible as well, how many of you want to surrender more? Both of my hands raised. What, Brother Donnie? Everything. Anything and everything that hinders us. Pride, selfishness, arrogance, tradition. It can be so many things. It can be countless, really. That's why God has to individualize this and deal with you as an individual. Praise God. Heavenly Father, I know these types of sermons don't make us shout. But I believe, Lord, they're needed. Oh, God, it makes my heart tremble. As I read about Saul, and I look and see other people that I've known in my own short span of life. To see them turn down your repetitive offer of mercy and grace. And then that unsurrendered heart becomes hardened. And they become harder to reach and more difficult. Then they start missing church. They start doing things they wouldn't have done years ago and saying things and going places. And, and then the more sin they do, the harder they become. Then, Lord, they go to taking on spirits. Oh, Jesus, keep me from such, Lord. Lord God, though I be a preacher, my gift as a preacher will not take up if my heart isn't surrendered to you. You'll use of me what I'll give you. And if I give you my gift, as much of that as I'll give you, you'll be able to use it. And preaching can become where that I do it and it's a job and I do it and get it done. 
I rush through the, the part of it, and I'm like Saul. I act like a preacher. Or, Lord, it can be my passion. It can be something that I live every day, something that I study every day of my life, which I do, something that I eat upon, something that I, when I listen to tapes, I listen for two different separate people. I listen for me and I listen for your wife. Constantly, Lord, waiting, being sensitive to the Spirit of God, or my job can just become monotonous, boring. Please, Lord, help me. That it don't never become that, Father. Help me, Lord Jesus, that I can surrender more and more and more. Lord Jesus, since I bowed that night at the altar 50 years ago, 50 years ago, a half a century, as a 12 year old boy, I'm still learning how to surrender. I wish I could say that it all happened at one night, but that's not the way you deal with us. You deal with us as you did the children of Israel, little by little. A little bit of will, a little bit of more will, a little bit of more will. Thank you for your patience with us hard-headed humans, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray for these here tonight, dear God. Help the wives, help the husbands, the young men, the young ladies. They will be able to surrender, Lord God. Oh, Jesus, may these brothers surrender their hands, their eyes, their wills, their desires to be instruments. Make them in your hands the way these instruments are in theirs. These brothers have played enough to where they don't have to feel the Holy Ghost to play. They've played enough over the years to play without it. But Lord, help them to never get to a place that they think they don't need you. Lord God, may their hands, their minds, their ambitions, everything about them be in their hands as the organ is to Harry's hands, the piano to Larry's, the guitar to Tim, the drums, the bass, the steel guitar, or someone who knows how to do something with it. They take their fingers and slide it across the keys, and we just sit there and thought, wow, praise the Lord. Oh, God, may our lives... Be that way. Pick us up tonight, Lord. Oh, God, maybe we feel like we're at that old auction. And the old violin is laying there and the dust has been gathered around it. It's all out of tune. It don't look like much. What am I bid? Dollar and a half. Two dollars. Three dollars. But someone standing in the audience saw... But there was something that people was not recognizing. So a man steps forth, tunes the violin, puts rosin on the bow, takes it into his hands. And he begins to play. And tears go to dropping from the eyes of the people. What am I bed? A thousand, two thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand. What was the difference? The instrument in the hands of a master. Lord God, maybe our lives are so messed up tonight. The devil would say, I'll give you three for 75 cents. How about a nickel? 
What about a dime? He ain't worth much. All drunks in his family, he, will be, he won't be worth even much to me. But Lord God, may you take the bow. May you take us into your hands and wipe the dust off the neglect. Wipe away our slack of reading our Bibles and not praying like we should. May you take us up, Lord, and lay your chin on the chin piece. Take your fingers and place them across the strings. And you go to rubbing across the bow. The more that I surrender. Praise God. Help us, Lord Jesus. How many wants the Lord to just take you that way? Brother Donnie, I ain't very big. How big do you figure a violin is? You know how many strings a violin's got? Four. It's amazing what a master can do with four strings. To give me and you four strings, there's not a whole lot we could do with them. Put four on the piano, not much. Four on the bass. Well, so if I could be this, and if I could, no, maybe God just wants to put four strings on you. Faith, grace, mercy, and fill you with the Holy Ghost, and tune you up, and go to playing on your life. And people say, oh, praise God. Praise God. Why? You just surrendered. What does the violin do? Nothing. What does the violin do? Nothing. It's just an instrument. The master tunes it. The master rosins the bow. The violin can't tune itself. If it breaks a string, it cannot restring itself. If the finish is cracked and broken, it cannot do that. If it comes apart, it cannot fix itself. Hello, Mr. and Miss Violin. You cannot fix yourself. You cannot fix your strings. You cannot replace your broken parts. Neither can you save yourself, fix yourself, get yourself to heaven. Just be a violin. Surrendered in the hands of God. Oh, praise God. Why don't you raise your ten strings? God's given you at least ten. How many wants to surrender with me tonight? Hey, sing it for us. Let's just sing it together, shall we? We got a sister tonight that's going to be baptized. So grateful for what we see the Lord doing in the lives of our young people. She'll come and prepare for that. Let's just sing it together now as we worship Him. Lay aside what you think you are and how great you are and how important you are. No, just, just, just get that out of your mind. You're just a violin covered with dust. may have a broken string. One of the tuning keys on top may be all bent out of shape. You may have to have a screwdriver to take it off and replace it. And, you know, maybe papers drop down inside of you and you don't sound exactly right no more. Let the master take you and wash you and sanctify you. It may take him a little work, actually, before you're ready to play. But a master knows how to do it. Let's just sing it a little, shall we? As we worship together. The more that I surrender. Listen now to the words. Lie, my Lord. Yes, Lord. More than I my cares. 
She understands the weight of her decision. She understands how important it is to completely and totally give her life over to the Lord Jesus and be His, His disciple. And she's not walking into this lightly. She's made the decision to give the rest of her life entirely over to the Lord Jesus. Let's bow our heads and pray for our sister. Lord Jesus, as we... Baptize our sister tonight, Father. She comes with full expectation of receiving the promise that goes in, goes with it in Your Word. Lord Jesus, as I lay hands on her, I pray right now, as well as the whole congregation as we're gathered together, that she receive this promise, Father. Lord, we ask that You give her overcoming power and faith for this dark age that we live in. And Lord, I just ask You to make her a beacon of light out of the stream of darkness. Lord, let her, as many people, Lord, reject you. Thousands upon thousands reject you and don't care, Lord. My sister's here tonight to answer the call that you gave her before she was ever born, Lord. 
to answer that call and to receive your name. We thank you, Lord, for everything you're going to do in her life. In Jesus' name we pray. Sister Gracie, I baptize you now, my sister, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Joel Brown, come sing for us. Anybody ask you where I'm going? <laughs> Praise the Lord. And we sung some songs for you elevator folks. Now we're singing songs for you rocket folks. Hey. Some of you folks are elevator folks. You like going up like this. Some of the rest of us is rocket folks. You're like, oh. <laughs> we're all getting up. Let's sing it together, shall we? If you want to know where I'm going. Praise God. Where I'm
Blessed be the Lord. Oh, but Brother Donnie, how's it going to be? I don't know for sure. You imagine if David stood there that day and let's say, now let's see if he, is he 35 yards or 45 yards? I better, that wind velocity, you know what? I just thought about something in the evening time. The barometric pressure varies according to the thermals as they comes down through that cool valley and it causes it, you know what? This, this rock here is not, oh my goodness, I've got the wrong rocks. I should have got that other rock because it was a little bit heavier and the velocity going through the Watch evening still. wind now, it would have been, it would have been no dead giant. Because David would have depended upon his own intellect, his own reasoning, his own ability. He said, man, I don't know which one of these rocks to work. Is it J or is it E? Is it S or U or S or what is it? I don't know. I'm going to put it in there by faith. I'm going to swing it around to the name of the Lord and let it go. How is it going to work? I don't have a clue. I don't know. All I know is in a moment we're going to be changed in a twinkling of an eye by the power of God. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. But Brother Donnie, scientifically, how can it be that you're a 62-year-old man and in a moment your eyeballs, your sinew, your bone, your muscle mass, everything changes? I don't know, but I'm going to experience it firsthand. I can't explain it. I ain't even going to worry about it. I'll just shout thinking about it till it comes. Praise God. Let God take care of that. I can't do it no how. Strain myself. I can't repair myself. I sure can't change myself. I'm going to leave that to my father. Let him provide what I need. Oh, glory. Well, we shall be changed. Y'all be ashamed of yourself. You see, one night years and years ago down in Pentecost, and I was still a Pentecostal preacher, I started singing this song under a tent in Louisiana where I preached. Oh, I seen a lame man get up and start walking around. Why? Because they believed in God. If they had that Pentecostal message of bring the supernatural, what about the evening time message of Malachi 4? If you're sick in your body tonight, the Changing God is here. The high blood pressure changing God is here. The sugar diabetes changing God is here.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, praise God. Anybody ask you where you've been tonight, you can tell them. I've been among a bunch of drunks. Well, where was the party at? Well, we didn't exactly call it a party. We called it a church. What was the name of the tavern? It wasn't a tavern. It was Happy Valley Church of Jesus Christ. Who was the lead drunk? The pastor, of course. I'll tell you what the prophet of God said. He said, we, we need to get so drunk that we forget who our name is. How long has it been since some of y'all been that drunk? Oh my. Got a bunch of quiet drunks here tonight. Prophet said since he got the Holy Ghost, he had been drunk every day of his life since. He said that baptism of the Holy Ghost is a perfect intoxication. I started sharing them quotes the other day with the preachers on a minister's chat and they all started glorying and hallelujah and praise be to God. I'll tell you one thing, if you're a real believer, I don't know about you, I need stimulation. I need stimulation. I deal with a lot of trouble. I deal with a lot of difficulty. This is where I get my strength, my friends, in the presence of Almighty God. I could not deal with what I deal with. You could not deal with what you deal with in this life. Was it not from the presence of God? You're not going to rob me of my healing, my strength, my refreshing in the presence of God. Praise God. Oh, praise God. All I can say is it's a good thing David ain't one of our church members because if David was here He'd be shouting around the hills of glory. David'd have a spell every time he'd come to the house of God. Some of you dry hides sit there like you're a Baptist or a Church of Christ. (laughs) Ain't God good? Let's close before I get in trouble. God bless you, saints. Hallelujah. Love it all my heart. Oh, my goodness. If you only realized how burdened I was before I come to church, how troubled I was. I could hardly study without crying all day. Brother Jim Woodson come in and check on me before service. I couldn't even talk to him just for crying. You've just seen a miracle tonight. This is just a little touch of the body change. It comes and helps us, don't it? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you for your kindness to us, Lord. Thank you for the service, Lord. As you go go with us now, bring us back in the morning, Lord, if it be pleasing to you. Looking for another wonderful time in your presence. 
Help us, I pray, Father, that we will always be a balanced people. That we love your word, but yet we know, Lord, that the letter killeth, but the spirit maketh alive. Your body laid there in that tomb, even though it was sinless, pure, never sinned one sin, never said one thing wrong, never went through any type of sin the way we do, yet it laid there lifeless and dead after they crucified you. The prophet likened that to the word. So the spirit come by. You look like a 50-year-old man. So you didn't just raise from the dead, but you were changed. You experienced what your bride is fixing to experience. The body change. The groom experienced it first. So when they looked at you, it took them a bit to recognize you because you look so much younger than what you did when you died. Praise God. It does our hearts good to see you among us, Lord. Not only just in shouting and rejoicing, but moving people's lives, changing hearts, seeing you move among your people. Thank you, Lord. Go with us now, Lord. Bring us back at the appointed time in the morning, Father. We look to you for all the things that we have need of. We're just like little children that come before our Father's throne. Your prophet told us to ask many things, ask much, and ask great things. Lord, I thank you for those statements. It certainly helps us. It seems like in the day we're living, we're constantly asking for more and more and more because Satan is fighting so much. But thank you that your healing, your deliverance, your power is still among us. Go with us now, Lord God, we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you, Harry. Strike something between the elevator and a rocket. <laughs> Light of the world, you step out into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart
Take my 